For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They are the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada Divorciada, Tuni Tacos, Bandito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information, check adrianasthewholeenchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Crossroad in the Keating Plaza. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my name is Nicola Watson and I identify as African Jamaican. Uh, my name is Angie. Sure. Um, my name is Nathan Smith. My name is Dr. Lisa Gunderson. My name is Natalie Justin. My name is Parker Johnson. The only place that I feel safe is my home. It is a beautiful place, but it's not perfect. Having that ability to find and connect with your own culture. There's no black center. Did I grow up in Victoria? No. I Actually, in a sense, I did grow up in Victoria. If I had a nickel for every time I was called exotic or somebody tried to touch my hair or something like that. You're listening to Full Circle on CFUV 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the Songhees and West Saanich territories of the Lekwungen and Sanchothan-speaking peoples, whose relationship with the land is ongoing and critical to our future. On this episode, we're looking at experiences of Blackness in Victoria. But before we look at the current experiences of Black folks, we need to talk about the history of Blackness in Victoria. The narrative of Black people being brought over as slaves to North America against their will is only part of this history. To deny their autonomous movement and migration patterns after the fact is to uphold a sense of racist paternalism. Granted, Black folks did not have the same privileges as white settlers, but they were still part of displacing Indigenous folks from their land and perpetuating colonialism. In 1858, Sir James Douglas the governor of B.C. at the time, invited a black community living in San Francisco to come join a colony living on Vancouver Island. He did this because he needed settlers on the island. Lots of miners from the U.S. were coming up during the gold rush, and they were trying to annex the island into the U.S. California had just passed discriminatory legislation, so several hundred black people went north in search of a better life. And they built community there. Some went to join the gold rush, and many others settled in Saanich and Salt Spring Island. But people still had to face segregation in theaters, churches, and other public spaces. They were treated poorly by white settlers, and there were violent clashes between the indigenous and black populations. Once the Civil War ended in 1865, many of the black people who had settled on Vancouver Island returned home in the hopes that the U.S. would be more accepting. At the same time, Sir James Douglas retired as the governor of B.C., which made people uncertain about how they would be treated under different leadership. So just as a black population moved here en masse, so too did they leave. I was raised in the Cherokee and Catawba territories, also known as North and South Carolina, and came here as an uninvited guest in 2002. I use the term uninvited guest for a number of reasons, but the one I consider daily is the parallel between my migration here alongside the migration of ancestors hundreds of years ago. 
For me and other people of color, there is often a tension that exists because speaking personally, even though I've been impacted by colonization and I'm dedicated to doing work which is decolonizing and serve as an ally to indigenous resurgence, my being here is a continuation of colonization and theft of indigenous lands. As a sixth or seventh generation American of African ancestry, I have often felt overwhelmed by the dominance of white culture in Victoria. Now that I'm a mother, I take trips back to the southern U.S. as often as I can, not only so my child can connect with her family, but also so that she can experience black cultures that are inextricably intertwined with the land and people. I often ask myself, as well as other people of the African diaspora living in Victoria, why don't we have that sense of belonging and connection here? This episode seeks to explore these senses of unsettling by looking at contemporary and historical experiences of Blackness. We spoke with a variety of people of the African diaspora who have moved here to shine light on the link between their current experiences with history. You will hear from local authors, uh, my name is Angie. I've lived in Victoria for about 20 plus years. Uh, grew up in Ontario, born in England, been in Canada since I've been five. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my name is Nicola Watson, and I identify as African Jamaican. So, of course, you know where I'm from my, and my ancestors. And I do a lot. Um, I work uh, uh, with uh, people who've been sexualized. So sexualized violence is one of my job. And I work as a school counselor as well. And then I have many unpaid jobs. <laughs> so, yeah a business owner and community event organizer. My name is Natalie Justin. I am the owner, operator, chef extraordinaire, just kidding, of Stir It Up Caribbean Soul Food, 760 around the corner from <laughs> selfless, promo, shameless, <laughs> around the corner from, is it the Odeon? The Odeon, yes. yeah. A photographer, my name is Nathan Smith. I'm a photographer. I was born in Toronto, but I did not spend any time there. In fact, I grew up in Jamaica, in the Caribbean. Um, I was there for a little over 20 years before moving to Victoria, um, where I started working in car dealerships. And that's what I do now. I'm in the service department. And on the side, I'm a photographer, although that's my real love a social justice advocate. My name is Parker Johnson. I'm a fourth-year psych student here at UVic. Um, I grew up in Victoria, and I also run a men's circle here called Link Up. It's part of, uh, it's affiliated with the SOCC. And yeah, that's my, that's okay. my deal. And a professor. My name is Dr. Lisa Gunderson, and I have been a visitor here for this is going on year seven. I have a consulting business. It's called One Love Consulting, and we focus on issues of equity, especially with regard to racialized and minoritized persons. I work at the tribal school in Brentwood Bay, where I do clinical supervision and clinical counseling. So I supervise child and youth care interns, as well as um students who are master's students in psychology. First, I want to know about the history of the Black people who live here now and why they chose Victoria as a place to live. 
you know, it's funny that, I don't know, people call you when you need to speak, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I've been thinking about this topic a lot, you know, to do with the book and to deal with, you know, because I came here. I chose to come here, you know, but it's also, it could be what I'm used to. You're going to what is familiar. I, I grew up in small town, Ontario, and here I am again in Victoria in, in a similar situation. You know, like we we're talking about work. I go into work and it's like, could, could we not find somebody with a tan to possibly also work here so I'm not the only you know, like like if something happens, I'm what's your name? I'm gonna phone your boss. And it's like I'm sure you can destroy me. I'm exactly. the black girl that works for the. <laughs> I'm not gonna say where I work, but the only one. The only one. <laughs> what brought us to Victoria? That is a great question. We had just finished electing Arnold Schwarzenegger, I believe, as governor, and we were also part of that time period when. The first Bush got in, or I'm sorry, the second Bush, his son, and it was that very kind of contentious election in the United States where there was some votes that were missing and all sorts of other things. But the reality was that the majority of the people voted for one person, but due to the Electoral College, the other person received the presidency. And that kind of political environment was really interesting for us. And we had started thinking about, is this where we wanted to raise our kids? Is this the environment that we had wanted for them? As young, uh, as young men and as African men, it was, we weren't quite sure how safe of a place the United States would have continued to be for them. And then there was just some other differences in terms of where the country was headed. And so we decided to think about possibly moving. And what did that leave us? Because we were in our 40s and we had to think of countries that would make sense in terms of our degrees, etc. My his family background, I'm Jamaican, and so that was one possibility. But Victoria was this kind of lovely combination of a variety of factors. So we decided to go for that. And we ended up moving here without work. And there's more to a lot of those stories. But that's how we ended up in Victoria. Yeah. Did I grow up in Victoria? No. I actually, in a sense, I did grow up in Victoria. I, I was born in St. Lucia, uh, moved to Toronto when I was five years old, and moved to Victoria when I was something years old, a while ago. So, uh, but I, I feel like I did a fair bit of my adulting here in uh, Victoria. So, yeah, in some ways, yes, I did grow up in Victoria. Uh, actually, when I first moved here, I was six months pregnant with my son, and um, I was craving Caribbean food, and I couldn't find it anywhere. So my solution was to just start importing patties, and that was the beginning. Yes, it wasn't just about uh, craving certain foods. It was also about craving some comfort, which 
came with the food, but also I needed some of the culture along with it. And the food reminded me of the culture. And for me, food and culture go hand in hand. The real reason that I moved to Victoria, uh, it's a little bit embarrassing, but it's not the worst. Um, so as I mentioned, I was living in Jamaica before this. And my sister was at UVic here, and I visited her one year, and it was January. It was the beginning of January. I was here for her birthday, and we decided to go out to a nightclub. So I did not want to bother paying for the coat check, and so rather than taking my coat into the party or into the club, I opted to instead leave it at home, and in January, left the my sister's friend's apartment without a coat, stood up outside in the line for 20 minutes. I had to cab back to the apartment uh, to get my Jamaican passport because they wouldn't take my driver's license. Um, it was a bit ridiculous. Actually, no, they wouldn't take my Jamaican passport, so I had to get my Canadian passport. Yeah, it was absurd. So... I went back, uh, that was a little bit frustrating, but stood up in the line again for another 15 minutes. And it was also raining a bit, but I didn't freeze to death. <laughs> and I had just come from Toronto, uh, maybe a week before that, and it was minus 23 when I was visiting my brother there. So I thought, you know, Victoria's not that bad. And I kind of wanted a change from Jamaica. Um, it's certainly a wonderful country with a lot of wonderful people, but the social circles there are really small and it, I just needed a change. So I thought, all right, I guess I'm going to pack up my things and move to Victoria. So I put as much stuff as I could in two suitcases, took my two dogs and moved here about four months after that visit to my sister. I was adopted from Savannah, Georgia. So... Even though I grew up here, I feel it in my DNA. Like I know I'm from the South. And it and it's interesting when you connect it to the history of Victoria. And so my adoption and me being here, it feels it feels very strange in that way. And obviously my experience is being surrounded by white people all the time. And for the first few years of my life, I didn't really consider color because my family's white we're just people and it wasn't until i hit elementary where i was like whoa you know i'm i'm getting poked and prodded literally by white students like what are you kind of thing and um feeling like an alien for real and that that has been my experience growing up here and and i still get the pokes and the prods but it's visual it's just you know the way i'm on display it's like being on in a zoo and it's very interesting. Though many of the African-Americans flourished in Canada, many also left as soon as the conditions in the U.S. changed. For some, it was to be reunited with loved ones, and for some, it was due to the conditions they faced in Canada being equally problematic. Thinking about those histories led us to wonder about the current experiences of Black folks, and to consider how a sense of belonging in a place is compromised by the forces of white supremacy. The only place that I feel safe is my home <laughs> in Victoria. Everywhere else, I mean, I've been called the double G word a few times, you know, walking around, minding, minding my own business. And people just say, you know, go back where you came from or you n 
and a whole bunch of derogatory racist things. You know, I've been um, confronted in the workplace by white supremacy violence. And so, no, I haven't really felt safe except for my present employers. And I think now I'm in a position to really say, have a say in where I want to work uh, and where I want to spend so much of my time that, you know, as soon as I'm feeling unsafe, then I can leave or I can address it so I can speak more to it. But having been in Victoria for almost 19 years, I have to say that it's when I'm with you or my sister friends or the girls that I can be my authentic self, right? I can laugh. We could tell stories. We can encourage each other. But I have to say I am, despite the fact that I'm married to a Caucasian man, I'm very uncomfortable around white people. I, my presence, without doing anything, white people tend to shift in in their spaces or be uncomfortable with me. And I don't have to say a word. And I know they're uncomfortable because the the environment changes, the tone of the environment changes. So... I don't feel safe anywhere. I, I, If I'm out, if I'm not going to be driving myself home later that night, Ryan is picking me up, but I'm not necessarily staying out too late because this white space of Victoria is violent. In the 20 years I've been here, there was one night. We both know I'm a lesbian. Yes. And I went to the gay bar. Not that I go anymore because anyway, that's a different story. But... <laughs> And there were five black women in there in the same night. <laughs> and that was at least 10, 12 years ago. Usually it's me. Yes. And if there's another lady, there's a woman that comes over from Vancouver and I go say hi. That's right. Oh, I remember when I first moved here, running yeah. across the street to meet other black people. Yes. That happened Kids to me when I first... phone number. Strangers on the street, <laughs> I gave my phone number. I, I heard here that. Hi. How did you get here? Yeah. Why are you here? Yeah. Are Why you are you staying? running away from me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That resonates. I, I mm. went home recently to South Carolina. Oh, I grew up you? between North and South Carolina. And... Being there again, you know, and I was checking in with friends back here and they said, well, how are you doing? How are you doing? And I said, I don't know how to explain it, mm-hmm. but I feel so much stronger here. Mm-hmm. I'm very appreciative of the life that I have yes. in Victoria, but I feel so much stronger and it is so necessary for me to leave this place and go where and I can be one of many. Yes, and recharge. And recharge and yeah. feel validated on a way that... I don't even know how to articulate. I can't yes. articulate what is missing. And yet you feel that, that missing. Yes. Not that I don't have appreciation. I don't have no, gratitude. This is a beautiful place. Yes. It is a beautiful place. Yes. But it's not perfect. No. Yeah. I, yeah. I've been feeling that. Thank you. I've been you. feeling that. And then it's like, you know, and I sit and I think, okay, well, where will I go? Where do I go? You know, and I, I don't, I, oh, I had a friend up visiting me this weekend and I was house sitting and it's like, and she's like, well, where do you go? And I said, my favorite place is home. This is why I'm not going to house sit anymore. Because my home is my space and where I can just be Angie, 
you know, and nobody's out there saying you can't be Angie, but it's like, there's a guard, there's a, the shoulder, there's a, you know, I, I was away and I came back and it's just like, you feel it. I'm more conscious of it. And I'm right now, I'm just like, I cannot fit back in that box where I was. Cause now that I know I don't fit and trying to get back and it's like, I don't want to squeeze into somewhere that I don't fit. So I think when it comes to safety, that is steeped fundamentally in politics. It's steeped in the way that we prioritize. It's steeped in the way that we financially put where we put our resources, our human resources, our financial resources. That speaks directly to all of those things. And also what we allow people to continue to do and get away with. Right? So probably a long winded question. I mean, answer, but yeah, I, the safety was an issue, but I'd also like to think that more than that, we felt Canada's values would be more aligned with ours in terms of not having to fight. There's a great amount of the average person in the United States I believe, thinks very much like us in certain things. They want health care. They want these things. But the way the system is designed there, it's designed in a way for a smaller minority of people to be able to have an immense amount of power and control. And that's incredibly problematic, right? That's incredibly problematic. The interesting thing about Victoria is that for me, there's no black center. Like if I go into the U.S., for example, and go to a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, because that's what they always do, (laughs) I'm going to find people who know my hair, do my food, this, that, and the other. Victoria is fascinating because unlike, say, Toronto, where I have a cousin in Ontario, there are black centers, right? There are places you can go. And here in Victoria, we're all kind of spread out. And so what makes it challenging is because of that, finding each other requires intentionality and you being very conscious and getting yourself out there. And when you add going to work every day and raising your kids, you can quickly, I think, get into a space where you feel kind of isolated. And so one of the first things that I was very aware of, because we had come back and forth kind of visiting for a while, when we decided to move, a couple of things that I was very aware of is that I need to create for myself a sister space. I have to have a sister space. And so I did that incredibly quickly. And there's really, in my opinion, so many of us where that can happen. On the kind of flip side of that, one of the things here that I have to make a conscious intention of doing is creating I think kind of how you you refer to it, a a different sense of being black, like owning it, like in a certain way, like there's so many amazing things about our culture and our customs and our foods and just ways of being. And I don't want that to be lost here with them, which it can be for two reasons. One, because again, we don't have necessarily that center. So when we gather and we, again, intentionally do that quite often. It is something that it it doesn't just kind of like arise the way it would in the States. And if you haven't been there, it's kind of hard to understand that, but you've been there, so you yes. know. 
and on the other side of it too, is that when we do gather, because we're so beautifully mixed ethnically, it also means though that that African American, Jamaican, Jamaican space, we have to, you know, it's like, well, y'all need to play some reggae now, you know, it's like, that's cool. I like those beats from Ghana too, but I need some hip hop too. Yes, you know? You're asserting the nuances. Exactly. Which is great. And so I find that at home, my kids are watching, you know, like we watch Blackish. We watch certain types of TV programming. And that's the beauty of being in Canada is we have that ability, yeah. right? A lot of our films and stuff come from the US. I wasn't really expecting that. I it, I don't know why, but I thought everybody has their own kind of Hollywood. That is not the case. <laughs> um, and so being able to instill that, um, looking for certain types of religious space, you know, certain types of music. And then when we go back, we go back often. I had gone out with a few friends. And so I was dressed up. I was feeling really good about myself, feeling quite positive. Uh, and on my walk home from going out, there was a couple, a white couple that had come off of a side road in front of me. And I was only behind them for maybe a block and a half on the main street, one of the main streets downtown. And they looked back at me constantly. I want to say maybe half a dozen times or so in just that one and a half block span. And every time they did look back at me and saw that I was still behind them, they'd walk a little bit faster to the point where they ended up jaywalking across two streets in order to get away from me. So, I got home that night and like I said earlier, I'm a portrait photographer. So I set up my camera on a tripod and I took a few self portraits of myself, primarily to show myself that I'm not scary. And I also intended on sharing the story on social media and I wanted to show just like how I looked like this was, this is me. That's it. I'm just me. Uh, it's not a large enough community that we can be, we can like have our own events and our own like community center or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's like, there's nowhere to network with those people. Whereas you go to Toronto and it's like, there's this amazing Jamaican restaurant that I can think of that's like on Young and Bloor. You walk in there and there's like eight Jamaican people. All you have to do is on the weekend, you look up the list of parties because it's Toronto and there's a party every single weekend, no matter what month it is. And you just look for the soca party or you look for the dance hall party and you know that you're going to find uh, or you look for the Afrobeats party. Although I wasn't really aware of Afrobeats at the time, mm -hmm. so it was all soca and dance hall for me. But you look for those parties and you go there and you're going to find people from your community. You're going to find like Trinidadians, you're going to find Jamaican people, St. Lucians, um, people from all different countries in Africa. Um, but we don't have that variety here. That's why you'll have like once a month an Afrobeats dance hall party and that's it. And if you don't know that it exists, if you're not like checking every single day, then how are you gonna know? There's no way. So for people who come here, um, I think that lack of event, like there's there, there are a lot of musical events going on in Victoria, but it's always some like Pacific North Coast, like acoustic crying music type event, which I'm fine with, you know, there's, a, I can appreciate that that's certainly something that people like listening to, but there isn't a lot of diversity in the musical scene here. It's just the, the lack of diversity in events 
I think probably pays a really large part, especially for those people that don't come here to go to school. That's where I feel like it's the easiest to miss out on meeting other people of color. Having that ability to find and connect with your own culture, um, I feel it, it really makes it so that you don't have to lose your own sense of identity. Um, like being out here, I've got customer service voice on almost all the time. And I have people asking, oh, where are you from? Are you from England? That's the most common guess is that I'm from England. And it's unfortunate because I'm not from England. But just like having to always deal with customer service people and never having like other Jamaicans other than my sister to interact with. Um, I never really get to like let down my guard and code switch back to default. Um, I always have to be in Canadian mode. But when I was in Kitchener, I'd be able to go on for a whole weekend. I was Jamaican again. It was great. I do like very strongly still identify as Jamaican, but I don't think that people hear that all the time. I definitely talk differently, but I, I've almost like lost that very obvious um, marker for it because of the lack of having that community here. But what happens is we're all, at least this is my experience, you just feel so isolated within Victoria because, you know, it is so white, you know, and and it can be difficult to, to uh, it can be daunting to, to make new friends and like step out of your bubble, but it, it needs to happen. It's important. And I think it's happening a lot this year, more than ever. The last few years, actually, I'm seeing a lot more. And it wasn't until middle school, middle school and high school that I met other black kids. Like I was usually the only black kid in school. And um, that does take its toll on one's morale. I will say that. And when I made those black friends, you know, it was like we knew each other, you know, because we had the same experience. Shout out to the African community here because they're, they hold it down. Like, they hold it down. <laughs> Um, it's just a matter of meeting these people. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's basically what LinkUp is about. It's just creating a community here on campus because it can be very isolating and it's still very white, you know what I mean? So, And with Victoria being somewhat progressive, pretty progressive, or at least tries to be, <laughs> these things are received quite well. Um, but I, I want to take it back to what you talked about, whitewashing and like that assimilation process and just trying to blend in. And that's that's also really relevant. And I think that people go into survival mode mm -hmm. and, and they kind of, they tuck their culture and you can't tuck your color, so you will always stand out, but they try to tuck their culture and, and you know, quote unquote, whitewashing where they just try and blend in. But I think I think it's important for everybody of color to know that you can't be whitewashed. You are who you are. Don't, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sorry to tell you, but your color ain't going nowhere. And you've got culture, whether you like it or not, it's in you, it's in your DNA. And I can tell you from personal experience, um, through adoption and being black and being amongst a white majority, there's going to be, there are moments and there have been moments throughout my life where 
my identity has just been like, what it, how do I exist here? How do I really, how do I exist here? And it's not until you, you, you know, not to sound cliche, but you really step into your power and you own who you are and you mm -hmm. own your color and, and you learn about yourself because the textbooks aren't going to tell you. If you grow up here, you're not learning about, you're not learning about how the indigenous were treated. The indigenous peoples were treated. You're not learning about how, how, <laughs> how traumatic all of those generational situations were. Like it's just crazy. It's no, just so crazy. People. Nah, I learned about the fur the fur trade for like four years, and <laughs> you know what I mean. You know, yes. You're not learning about the I was real. Like, Wait, what about the other stuff? Yeah, that what happened? about? Yeah, come on. We're not going to talk about residential schools at all. We're yeah. not going to like what is what is this? And so there's a stifling that happens. Yeah. And I think I think that's what I would change what the definition of whitewashing is to to actual stifling of mm -hmm. cultures, you know. If I had a nickel for every time I was called exotic or somebody tried to touch my hair or something like that. For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They are the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada de Forciada, Tuni Tacos, Bandito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information, check adrianasthewholeenchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Crossroad in the Keating Plaza. It is important to understand that we are not just passively accepting the conditions that we are met with, but rather we are contributing in multidimensional ways to create the changes we would like to see. So I'm a part of a collective, um, Girls with Afrotextured Hair, and it's for girls from grades four and up, and it's a safer space for um biracial girls who identify black and brown girls of all shades to come in and uh, talk about their experiences and it, it's also intergenerational so we have the, what we call the sister friends and we're, we are the mentors but I feel like the girls teach us a lot um, and they're re they remind us about even our uh, histories right so it's really a, an unapologetic unapologetic space for the girls to be empowered about not only their hair, but their skin, but most importantly, their brains. <laughs> that's the, yes. that's the focus. So a long time ago, I was a uh, part owner of a salon called Afro Diva Hair Salon here in Victoria. Yeah. And I had clients from many age range uh, backgrounds, eth ethnicities, and so forth. And of course, the common um, phrase many people, girls and f adults, would talk about is this thing around their hair or contexts, the intersectional aspects, right, about the ideas. So schoolgirls would talk about teachers, white teachers, um, touching their hair without permission. So, I mean, consent, the, the issue of consent is very important. 
or uh, their schoolmates would be saying things in relationship to either their hair or their skin. And so out of many conversations, women and girls were saying we need a safe space to talk about the issues that we are faced with in this white supremacist society of Victoria. And, you know, I started the conceptualization of this book began many years ago. It's called Chrissy's Afrotextured Hair Adventure Story. Yay. And you'll hear my Jamaican accent come out a bit. <laughs> but I started a while ago just thinking about writing a story that focuses on black hair, but about a little girl trying to problem solve around her hair. And so that's why it's called Chrissy's Afrotextured Hair Adventure Story. And the protagonist is six years old. And so it's adventurous. There are two parts, the adventure section. And then the second part is an instructional manual around washing Afrotextured hair. Uh, the award that I received, I believe, was for transformation. I, I hope that's correct. It was in 2016, and um, it was for transforming spaces into welcoming spaces for everyone. So I was very honored to receive that award and very surprised as well because, you know, it was a surprise. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't expecting it, and... Uh, sometimes you're just walking and, you know, thinking in your head, you know, what can I do to make a difference? Not knowing that sometimes you actually are making a difference and it's uh, pleasing to be acknowledged for that. Um, one of the things, uh, one of the initiatives that I had started when I first moved to Victoria was the Afro-Carib Carnival. It was myself and Mekon Hayes and Tanya Cromwell, and the three of us wanted to do something to celebrate African and Caribbean culture here on the island. And our goal was really to showcase uh, musicians, artists, and um, food marketplace and um, that we did that for seven years here in Victoria, just over at Gorge and Jutland. And that was my first big deal, what I consider to be my big deal experience here. And it, it was a great one. I learned a lot from that. And uh, I wish we were still doing it. And may I also ask about some of the evenings that you, the events that you plan currently? Why, yes, you may ask about <laughs> some of those evenings. <laughs> you make it sound all mysterious, some of those evenings. Tell us, tell us. Describe exactly what they are. Well, it's a night of... No, it's not. It's uh, st Strictly Roots and Clean Heart Youth, myself, and I'm Strictly Roots. I'm the Strictly Roots portion, and my cousin Judah is the Clean Heart Youth portion, and we put on events um, mainly at Copper Owl, but at some other venues around the city, uh, showcasing, again, African and Caribbean music, dancehall, soca, hip-hop, R&B. Uh, sometimes we put on some live concerts as well, but uh, uh, these nights are usually DJs. So the project that I'm working on, uh, it's called Profiling Black Excellence. What it is is a collection of stories of racism and racial profiling that people of color in Victoria and Vancouver uh, have faced um, at the hands of those around them. So 
the people that I've spoken with so far, um, there are people who are from Victoria. There are people who were raised in Vancouver. Uh, there are people who have moved here from other countries. There's one uh, one person from Nigeria. Um, I've got non-binary people of color I've spoken to for this uh, this project, and a fairly wide age range as well. From I want to say early twenties to probably mid fifties. There's a fairly wide spectrum of people. There's also not just black people, even though the project is called Profiling Black Excellence. It certainly has a focus on black people, but um, I try to be inclusive. So I've got people of East Asian descent. I have indigenous folk. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty broad spectrum of people. I'm trying to be as inclusive as possible for the purpose of uh, making sure that as many stories are heard as possible, as well as uh, just demonstrating how widespread these issues are and how many people they affect. So it was really important to me to write this book, mainly because she was a dream. I kept dreaming about her for years. It's called Introducing Sophia Firecracker, and it's about a nine-year-old girl who thinks she's a superhero. I mean, all little girls should think they're superheroes. And at the time I was doing research into Canadian Black history. I lived in Ottawa and I was going to the National Library and I was just absorbing all this stuff. And it was also, those were my angry years. <laughs> well, just because I grew up in Ontario and just to find out this history was there, yes. including my high school, and nobody said boo. Nobody said, go look over here. Nobody said anything. I didn't even know it was there. Yes. So I'm doing this research and I'm dreaming about this little girl. So I also, I think the mind has a way of, if there's something heavy, it'll give you something light. Yes. In a way, you can, it only gives you what you can deal with, right? So there was this joy to balance the anger. And I, I didn't know her name, but just this little girl. Every night I would dream about her and her antics. And then I read about... Sophia Pooley. Sophia Pooley was an ex-black slave who grew up where I grew up. And I just, yeah, yeah. she just, whew, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, this is her name. Yes. So Sophia is a very powerful name. And the firecracker came into the dream, like, because that's her name. <laughs> That's just her name. Yeah. So that's where the story came from. I'd been writing it for years after that. Every every morning I'd just write down what she did and what she said. And my, most of my writing comes that way, just by listening. Yes. Not necessarily a dream. It would be a, a white, awake dream, but, yes. you know, just listening. So that's where she came from. Okay, what organizations are here? And that's how I happened upon AHAVI, the African Heritage Association of Vancouver Island. And one of the beautiful things about that organization, for example, was there's like 50 different countries in that organization. I don't think before I got here, I could tell you 50 countries where black people are from. That's one of the real interesting differences of being in Victoria, even though we're, we're West Coast, is that 
all the people in my black space, and I'm using black very purposefully, they have different languages and different religions and different traditions. So we were going to a Ghanaian celebration. We went to E-Camp, Ethiopian camp. And then, you know, you've got Harambe where people who are raising kids with African descent. And it's, there's all these different ways of being black that unlike in the US where i feel it's more designed towards we have to be a certain way not by our standard, but by and talk a certain way eat a certain way do this do that that kind of blows this out here and the beauty of that for my kids who i anticipate will go back to the united states is when they go back they go back with a much stronger mentality of the heterogeneity within our community and i think that is such a beautiful gifting for them First off, women of color carrying the weight, unimaginable weight of generations on their shoulders. Like I can't, I can't fathom the 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 black female experience. I can't fathom it. It and for link up, um, my thinking was well. First off, as men, we don't really speak about our vulnerabilities, and two, there's so much pain as men of color that mm-hmm. that just needs to be talked about. Yes. And it's through these sharing of these little experiences yes. and these, you know, traumatic events. And in that I think we can also relate better to women of color. We've ran one so far, um, because school, the schedule is just so crazy. You know how it is academically. Um, but it's a space for um, men of color to get together, self-identifying men of color to get together and speak their truth, share stories, share experiences, and get to know each other. Um, and like I said, we run it through the SOCC, Students of Color Collective, and it'll be an ongoing ongoing thing. And I'm also um, working on getting um, a panel discussion, an ongoing panel discussion out off campus, um, possibly at a co-working space, like quench working with the culture project in victoria and just continuing to create community it really it really does lift people um the the foundation of 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 your character can be held up by other people and one of the most uh it feels like i mentioned earlier it does feel very isolating when you don't have that Mm -hmm. and you can go days without seeing another black person (laughs) and i can tell you it impacts my mood (laughs) greatly you know, when I'm not connecting with someone who looks like me, yeah, you need that. You just need it. But also we must understand, and I'm speaking to your white audience now, that when they go to Jamaica or visit um, countries or spaces of color, we usually go out of our way to make them feel at home. So when you come to either my church or my country, I'm not looking for white people to make you feel comfortable. We're doing that work. So when we come into your space, that's your job to do. And so you're going to have to go out and get the training. But I'm in that space of my life where I just look at white people when they're uncomfortable and go, you know, that's your problem. And I'm not going to try to make you feel comfortable. Yes. Right. I'm just going to go on and look after myself. Right. So in in Toronto, we talk about Afrocentric school. I mean, I think there are some good teachers out there of different racial backgrounds, but 
what I've come to discover through my work is that black kids are safer with black teachers and black teachers are likely to encourage, instill confidence and push our black kids more than the failure of the white educational system. And that is not to say there aren't great white teachers out there. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the research has suggests, so if we look at Toronto, several years ago before Afrocentric school, the white system failed 40, over 40%. And we have to look at the reasons behind that. And so for me, that's what I would like to do is create safer spaces for our black children to feel welcome, to feel beautiful, to feel intelligent, to feel that they can conquer and do anything. I want them to have opportunities that I never had and for them to see people like you or I or other brown people who are educated, who can encourage them along the way and be their mentors. That would be my one thing. And that's why, even though it takes time, I am on specific committees. I volunteer to be on a variety of different committees so our voices can be heard. And so I would, I guess I want to say, I encourage any of you who are of African descent, your voice is important. It is necessary. Nobody else is going to do it for us. We know this from our history that we have to advocate for ourselves and we do not want to get lost amongst the other groups because while we have similarities in terms of oppression and discrimination and other things we face, we have some distinct differences. And if you look nationally at what's happening to African Canadians, we are disproportionately represented in prisons, for example. There's a systemic issue with regard to that. Same thing with being in care. There is so many parallels to what's happening to our Indigenous brothers and sisters. And, you know, kind of pitting us against each other is not okay. That is not allowed. And also ignoring us is not okay either. So I guess I just want to make sure that people understand that you have a voice and it matters. And having our cultures represented because we're so diverse, it's important for you to come out and you know, if you see somebody walking on the street, say, hey, yeah. and have that conversation and begin to make those networks happen. It's been happening for a while. We need that to continue because I want this to be a place that our kids are heard and respected and valued. And while we're in a good place to begin that, it's not where it should be. And that's really, really important that that happens. We have a lot of passive aggressiveness that happens in this city. And um, that's not okay. And there are a lot of things that are happening in community, both here in Vancouver. And we know about them. And the larger society doesn't necessarily know that. So part of what we are hoping to do is getting more of that information and thinking, doing that through our organizations in a systemic way. What ideally I'd love to see here is a, there be a black center. So when somebody of African descent comes or is raised here, they know to go like how you go to a Chinese cultural building, you would go to this space and inside that space, we'd have a variety of different information, ways for people to get information to us, ways to also get our 
beautiful experiences out more to the community and a way to be heard. Because the reality is, is if we don't somehow do that in a systemic way, if we don't get involved politically, get on committees and so forth, people will think we don't exist. Uh, a variety, a variety of, we're, we're not all the same. You know, choice, choice, you know, want something to eat. <laughs> I want to dance. I want, I want some reggae. I want some reggae without... I love Bob, but there's life outside of Bob. I want to dance. Yes. You know, and th there are there are things that go on in the city, you know, but if you miss it, you missed it. It's like you're you're fluttering in the wind. You don't have that connection. So, it okay. I, do you watch Blackish? Oh, yes. Okay, so remember that episode where um, he brought his son to school and they were walking past, past the other black kid and he nodded. Um, the father nodded right. and the other guy nodded, but his kid didn't nod. <laughs> that's sometimes that's sometimes what it's like. There's there isn't the knowledge of the universal nod. There yes. isn't the knowledge yes. of, hey, yes. let me acknowledge you because I might have to find you later. If something pops off, exactly. <laughs> I want to make sure you and I are both running in the right direction or the same direction, you know, and maybe other people might not understand that. And no, we don't all know each other, but we all feel each other or we should. And it's important for me, I feel, for my kids to feel connected to the place where they're growing up. It's important to feel connected and to feel like you have roots and this is a place that you actually want to come back to. But if there's no connection, if there's no tie, then you're going to be fluttering. So one thing that I, like one message that I have tried to get across is there are two things that I want to happen as a result of this project. One, for people of color, I would love to be able to help build sort of a community of people of color outside of the university. Like I want people of color to be able to link up with each other and like meet one another and that we can, we can have each other's backs because you're going to experience racism in Victoria. It's inevitable. Um, and so I want, I want to be able to build that community and as well for those people to know that those experiences of racism are real. You're not imagining it. When you tell somebody and they say, are you sure that it was really racism? Are you sure? It, you're sure it was. And I want them to know that. Um, and for white people, I would love for them to just like, maybe think about their interactions and not necessarily just with people of color. This is one thing that I've been realizing, but with other white people, because a lot of the times, somebody who is just like blatantly racist or they um, commit a lot of microaggressions against people of color, they're not going to necessarily uh, be receptive to a person of color telling them. They might assume that you're just like an angry or emotional person of color. They're going to be much more receptive to another white person telling them. And so if you hear somebody saying one of those things and maybe you've looked at the project and been like oh 
that's actually something that one of the people in this project said happened to them. Call them out on it. Don't just let it slide because that's how it continues and that's how it gets worse and that's how their children start saying those things too. I am like 100% in support of educating yourself. Um, but there's some recommended reading. If you go to the website, it's www.profilingblackexcellence.com. Click on the resources tab. There is recommended reading there. I highly recommend that you read all of them, even just to broaden your horizons because they are fantastic books. Um, there are Instagram accounts that you can follow that kind of highlight some of these the issues as well as how you can combat them. And just through that, stamp it out whenever you see it, call it out, and just, you know, let's make it better for everybody. It's been present day. How are you living? How are you feeling? What are you experiencing? And I think it would be really, really cool to get some different perspectives in there and and an understanding of the land that we're living on mm -hmm. historically and then where we sit or where what are what am I trying to say yeah just how we're situated in that because I can tell you it's really confusing after the first link up I'm thinking to myself man I just held this circle for for men of color to get together and talk about their experiences on stolen land on land that you know what i mean yes. there's so many layers here yes and and that's confusing mm -hmm. and if there's a way to incorporate that knowledge into into our black experience mm -hmm. because as i've been told before black people are um indigenous in their own right like we yeah, we exist here and we've existed here for many, many years. And there's so much displacement between cultures yep. that I think it would be quite unifying and, and incredible to just incorporate more of that into yeah. the Link Up experience, you know? Yeah, yeah, when you know your history, you, you, you start to understand yourself. People of the African diaspora that moved to Victoria in the past didn't experience less racism than they did south of the border, historically or now. But the way the racism is enacted daily, systematically, may operate in varying degrees. Segregation, race-based rioting, denied access to civil liberties, jobs, housing, and even chattel slavery are also part of the story of Canada, and this part of Canadian history shapes experiences of blackness in BC today. Dr. Georgia Satara, a professor of history at UVic said, the other thing is to avoid thinking of black migrants as pawns used to hold the land. All of us are agents of history, trying to do the best that we can for ourselves and our families. All of us are implicated in the history. None of us are above it or outside of it. And for sure, none of us want to be remembered as puppets or slaves, but rather, as Marx suggests, we all make history, but we don't make it in conditions of our own making. This episode of Full Circle was produced by Kimmy Craig with help from Elizabeth DeVolis, Molly Kay, Dr. Georgia Satara, and Andrew Hines. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Thank you to all of our guests on this episode, Nathan Smith, Angie Riley, Nicola Watson, Natalie Justin, Parker Johnson, and Dr. Lisa Gunderson. This program would not be possible without the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. If you like this episode, 
Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They're the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada divorciada, tuni tacos, bandito burger, taquito feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information, check out adrianasthewholeenchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Cross Road in the Keating Plaza.